You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Simon & Schuster, publishers of Vicksburg, Grant's campaign that broke the Confederacy by Donald Miller. And yes, we know we just recently finished up a 20-episode story arc about Vicksburg, but Simon & Schuster didn't consult with us about their release schedule, so Donald Miller's Vicksburg will be available here in a week or so, on October 29th. We've had a copy for a while now, and can say you'll want to have this one on your Civil War bookshelf. Vicksburg, Grant's campaign that broke the Confederacy, tells the story of the campaign and the siege that split the Confederacy in two, opened the Mississippi, and made Ulysses S. Grant the Union's greatest military commander. And Miller doesn't neglect emancipation history, as he also tells the story of the slaves who lived in the lower Mississippi Valley when the Civil War broke out, and how thousands upon thousands of them would not only break away from their master's control or be freed by the advances of the Union military forces, but he tells the story of how a lot of them would end up enlisting in the Federal Army. Donald Miller's Vicksburg will be available on October 29th in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook. Pre order a copy now online or reserve one at your local bookstore or library. Hey everyone, welcome to the 297th episode of our Civil War podcast. My name is Rich. And I'm Tracy. Hello y'all. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. So, Gettysburg. Yep, Gettysburg. Well, enough said. Thanks for tuning in, folks. (laughs) Rich. Okay, we do actually have more to say than that. And we should probably admit right here at the beginning of what we fully anticipate is going to be an epic story arc, that we know there are folks out there who downplay the importance of Gettysburg, since they say the Civil War was actually won in the West. And well, we would probably actually tend to agree that, speaking big picture, that the war was won in the West. And we should probably also say that we know there are people out there who argue that Gettysburg wasn't the turning point of the war. And we would actually also agree with that, 
since we don't think you can point to any single battle or event and call it the turning point of the Civil War, but we do happen to think that Gettysburg was one of the turning points in the war. Okay, so having issued those disclaimers, we should probably also admit right up front that we've been bitten by the Gettysburg bug. For those of you who know what we're talking about, no explanation is necessary. But if an explanation is necessary, well, Gettysburg is just a special place for some people. Every Civil War battlefield is special in its own way, of course, but there's just something about Gettysburg when you're there, walking the ground, and you realize it's an extraordinary place where past and present collide, and where the past still speaks to those of us today who care to listen. Really, you understand why Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain called Gettysburg a vision place of souls. That happened in 1889 in a speech at Gettysburg when Chamberlain said, quote, In great deeds, something abides. On great fields, something stays. Forms change and pass. Bodies disappear, but spirits linger to consecrate ground for the vision place of souls. Generations that know us not and that we know not of, heart-drawn to see where and by whom great things were suffered and done for them, shall come to this deathless field to ponder and dream, and lo, the shadow of a mighty presence shall wrap them in its bosom, and the power of the vision pass into their souls. Chamberlain said, In great deeds something abides, and we think that's very true. About 2,700 years ago, the Greek poet Homer wrote down the Iliad, an epic poem about a legendary conflict between the Greeks and the Trojans. The Civil War has been called the American Iliad because of its epic nature. And if we take each battle in the Civil War and cast it as a character in that awesome drama, then the part Gettysburg plays is surely that it stands as the great test of democracy, the darkest hour in a national struggle to determine whether any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. And then in the South, Gettysburg also long stood as a high watermark and fabled, what if? As the novelist William Faulkner famously wrote, for every Southern boy 14 years old, not once, but whenever he wants it, there is the instant when it's still not yet two o'clock on that July afternoon in 1863, and it's all in the balance. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't even begun yet. It not only hasn't begun yet, but there is still time for it not to begin against that position and those circumstances. Well, admittedly, that's powerfully moving. But as you can tell from Faulkner's words, sometimes myth obscures our view of the past. Sometimes pride, memory, imagination, bias, and emotion can create something that ends up overshadowing the actual historical record. And what people remember and derive meaning from 
is a muddled mix of the personal, the historical, and even the political. The events, actions, decisions, and personalities that make up the Battle of Gettysburg certainly aren't immune to that sort of distortion. And in fact, some of those events, actions, decisions, and personalities still inspire a surprising amount of controversy today. But having said that, there's no denying that something momentous happened at Gettysburg during those first three days of July, 1863. We always tell people that Tracy and I don't think of ourselves as historians. We think of ourselves as storytellers. And with Gettysburg, we think we have an absolutely amazing story to share with all of you because, well, because in great deeds, something abides. The epic three-day battle is packed with unforgettable, dramatic moments that were played out on the landscape of human endeavor. There are heroic actions that show us what ordinary men are willing to do for cause and comrade, and there are also terrible, violent scenes that fill us with awe as well as appall us. We wanted to take a few minutes here in this show to talk about how we're going to approach this story arc because this is a story that we've been waiting a long time to tell, and we want to do it justice. In some ways, the Battle of Gettysburg was the inspiration for starting this podcast, because it was after one of us reread Noah Andre Trudeau's book, Gettysburg, A Testing of Courage, that we got the idea to do a podcast about the Civil War. One of our professors in grad school was well known for saying, over and over again, that context is everything. With that in mind, when we started our Civil War podcast, we knew we had to set the stage for the fighting by talking about the background to the war. We thought that might maybe possibly take 10 shows. Um, yeah, as you guys know, it took us about 30 episodes to get to the first shot at Fort Sumter. Anyway, we still believe that context is everything, so whatever it is we happen to be talking about on the podcast, we try to take the time to set the stage, to give some background to it. And with Gettysburg, we're going to take the time to set the stage for the campaign and battle. That means you're going to have to wait a while for us to get to the actual battle. And really, with the entire story arc, we want to take our time. That's because whenever we finish talking about something on the podcast, we always, always think, you know, that could have been twice as long as it was. But we don't want to get to the end of the Gettysburg story arc and think that, so we're going to take our time, and however long it takes, that's how long it will take. We always tell people that when we started this project, we decided to just do the Civil War podcast that we ourselves would want to listen to, and that's what we've done. And we're going to do the same thing with this Gettysburg story arc. One of the biggest ongoing challenges with doing a history podcast like this is that you have people who have been studying 
or at least reading about the Civil War, for maybe decades. And you also have people who know next to nothing about the war. But everyone is tuning in and listening to the podcast. And so the challenge for us has always been to present the information, or tell the story, if you will, in a way that everyone finds interesting, educational, and maybe even entertaining. And the best way that we found to approach that challenge is to simply do the Civil War podcast that we ourselves would want to listen to. And with the Gettysburg episodes, we know there will be people tuning in who have been studying or at least reading about the battle for decades. But there will also be people who are listening who know next to nothing about Gettysburg. I suppose all of that's to say that what we're going to do is enjoy telling the story, and hopefully all of you, or most of you, will enjoy listening to these Gettysburg shows. Okay, then as far as presentation and structure, we thought long and hard about what to do with Jeb Stewart. We finally decided that we really didn't want to break away from the main storyline to follow Jeb Stewart on his ride. So here on the regular episodes, Stuart, just like he did for Robert E. Lee, will drop off the radar for about a week until he pops up again at Gettysburg on July 2nd. Now, we will cover Jeb Stuart's ride in some detail, but we're going to use some members' episodes to do it. So if you've been thinking about joining the Strawfoot Brigade, this might be a good time to sign up. Not only will you be helping support the podcast, but you can follow along as we use some members' episodes to look at what all Jeb Stewart was up to during that week he was off gallivanting and leaving poor old Robert E. Lee in the lurch. No judgment, though. No, of course not. In fact, Lee was probably just as much to blame for what happened as Stewart, but we'll talk more about that later. And then we also wanted to mention that as far as where we'll end our discussion of the campaign, what we'll do is use the Confederate escape across the Potomac as the end point of our discussion, although that's not where the Gettysburg story arc will conclude because... Because, after we've looked at the campaign and battle, we're going to fast forward to November 1863 and spend a couple, or three shows, looking at Abraham Lincoln's visit to Gettysburg and his delivery of, quote-unquote, a few appropriate remarks. We're going to do that because we believe that in some ways, what Lincoln said there that day in November is as important as what the soldiers did there just four months earlier. The last thing we wanted to mention in this segment, and this won't surprise you if you've been around a while and know that we are map geeks, But with Gettysburg, there are a number of atlases you can get to follow along with the podcast and track the movements of the armies during the campaign and the fighting during the battle. We're not going to take the time to go through all the Gettysburg-specific atlases here now on the show, but what we'll do is put them up on this episode's post on the website so you can head over there to check them out. And we do hope that you'll pick one of them up since your understanding and appreciation of what we're talking about here on the show will be um, enhanced if you can visualize what's happening on a map. 
Okay, so that's all we've got to say about that. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's early morning on Wednesday, July 1st, 1863. Two privates of the 8th Illinois Cavalry are stationed several miles northwest of the town of Gettysburg, where the Chambersburg Pike crosses Knoxlin Ridge. They're part of the picket line that Union Brigadier General John Buford has positioned to the north and west of Gettysburg. These vedettes, as mounted cavalry sentries are known, are to keep a close watch on the roads leading into Gettysburg, since Buford fully expects the Confederates to come calling on July 1st. One of those troopers manning the vedette post on the crest of Knoxland Ridge, Private Thomas Kelly, later recalled how, quote, The weather had been terribly hot and dry, and we wondered as we sat in our saddles if we were in for another scorching day. From our orders, we did not expect to march that day and believed we might come into contact with the enemy, though, of course, we troopers did not know where he was. Well, Kelly and the other trooper manning that post didn't have to wonder for long about the whereabouts of the enemy, because around 7 a.m. they spotted a cloud of dust rising up in the distance. Not long after that, the first soldiers at the head of a column of marching Confederate infantry, stepped into view on the next ridgeline to the west. At that, Kelly set his spurs and rode off to sound the alarm. Kelly couldn't immediately locate Sergeant Levi Schaefer, to whom he was supposed to report, so he decided to ride to Lieutenant Marcellus Jones, the officer in charge of the vedettes, who also happened to be Private Kelly's cousin. When Kelly rode up and breathlessly announced that they had sighted the enemy, Jones sent a courier off to headquarters to report the news of the Confederates' approach. 
Then he mounted his horse and galloped with Kelly back to the sentry position on Knoxlin Ridge. Lieutenant Jones watched as the column of Confederate infantry approached from the west. By this time, Sergeant Schaefer had arrived on the scene, and Jones borrowed Schaefer's Sharp's carbine, rested it on a fence post, and sometime around 7.30 a.m., squeezed off a single shot at a rebel officer across the way, riding a light-colored horse. When Jones fired, the head of the enemy column had almost reached the stone bridge spanning Marsh Creek about a half a mile away, and so the rebels were still well beyond the carbine's effective range, so he almost certainly didn't hit anything. But nevertheless, 33-year-old Marcellus Ephraim Jones had just fired the first shot of the Battle of Gettysburg. Gettysburg would be the largest battle fought during the Civil War and also the bloodiest. Over 165,000 soldiers, about 94,000 Federals, and around 72,000 Confederates would clash on the fields, in the woodlots, and on the ridges and hills at Gettysburg. When the battle was over, an estimated 51,000 men filled the long list of dead, wounded, captured, or missing. The fight at Gettysburg was a momentous collision of the Eastern Theater's two main field armies, and the stakes were immense. For the Federal commander, Major General George Gordon Meade, appointed to lead the Army of the Potomac just three days before the start of the battle, Gettysburg would be the test of a lifetime. For the Confederate commander, General Robert E. Lee, Gettysburg would be his last, best chance to deliver a killing blow to the enemy army. And for the long-suffering Union army, Gettysburg would be redemption. With so much attention paid to the losers, it's easy to lose sight of the victors. But supposedly, when George Pickett was asked to explain the failure of the famous charge that bore his name, he answered, I think the Union Army had something to do with it. Again and again, the Army of the Potomac had received a good kicking at the hands of the Confederates, except at Antietam, where the Federals had fought Lee's army to a bloody draw. But Gettysburg, well, Gettysburg would be their first clear-cut major battlefield victory. On July 4th, the day after the end of the battle, a Union officer would write that, quote, The dear old brave, unfortunate Army of the Potomac has redeemed its reputation and covered itself in glory. The question we want to ask here at the beginning of this story arc is, What brought those 165,000 soldiers to Gettysburg during the first three days of July 1863? Newspaperman turned historian Bruce Catton wrote that it was a quote-unquote combination of forces that brought about the Battle of Gettysburg. And while really that's true of any Civil War battle, Catton then went on to say of Gettysburg, quote, The battle was fated in that it grew out of what the war for two years had been. It was a battle that had to be fought. So what brought the armies to Gettysburg? Maybe it was fate, 
and the culmination of all that had taken place in the war in the East up until that point. But Catton says that, quote, even though destiny was at work, it is still worthwhile to see why this great fight took place at Gettysburg instead of in some other town on the first three days of July 1863 instead of at some other time. It is worthwhile to see why this great fight took place at Gettysburg instead of in some other town on the first three days of July 1863 instead of at some other time. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at see why it happened at Gettysburg on those first three days of July, 1863. We've asked the question, what brought the armies to Gettysburg? And we'll use that question as our jumping off point to look at the campaign and battle. It's taken us a while to get here, about 300 episodes, But now that we're here, we're excited about diving into this story arc with all of you. We think it's going to be one heck of a ride. Gettysburg may not have been the turning point of the Civil War, but we do happen to think it marked the turning point of the war in the East. As Winston Churchill said of another turning point in another war, Now, this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is, perhaps, the end of the beginning. That means it's time for this episode's book recommendation. And our recommendation this time is Gettysburg, A Testing of Courage by Noah Andre Trudeau. This isn't just a tip of the hat to Mr. Trudeau for providing the inspiration for us to start a podcast about the Civil War, but it's a sincere recommendation for you to check out this book, if you haven't already, since it's one of the best narrative histories out there of the Gettysburg Campaign and Battle. Don't forget you can find all of our book recommendations if you head over to the podcast website which is www.civilwarpodcast.org. Also at the website, you can find links to the show's Twitter feed, Facebook page, and our Tee Public storefront if you want to pick up a podcast t-shirt. Or onesie. Yes, you can even get a podcast onesie, or a coffee mug, or magnet. Anyway, also at the website, you can find information about joining the Strawfoot Brigade over on Patreon. So really, the website is the hub of all things Civil War podcast related. Well put. The hub of all things Civil War podcast related. Okay. Well, then as we wrap up this show, we wanted to remind you that this lovely music you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is from the song Midnight on the Water, and we use it with the kind permission of Spirit Wood Music. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Civil War, 1861 to 1865, a history podcast. Tracy and I do hope that you'll join us again next time for this second episode of the Gettysburg Story Arc. But until then, take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
Hey everyone, uh, just a reminder that this episode of the podcast was sponsored by Simon & Schuster, publishers of the soon-to-be-released Vicksburg, Grant's Campaign That Broke the Confederacy by Donald Miller. We're happy to team up with Simon & Schuster to promote this excellent history of a pivotal campaign. It's one that you'll want to have on your Civil War bookshelf. Donald Miller's Vicksburg will be available on October 29th in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook. Pre-order a copy now online or reserve one at your local bookstore or library.